0: I ask you to turn in your bibles to Paul's second letter to Timothy. You can find that on page 995 in the Pew Bibles. We're in chapter 1 in our new series First Timothy. Our focus will be on verses 15 to 18. Children, here are your questions. First, Paul had some good friends. But what did he say about some people he used to work with in Asia? Two, why was Paul thankful for his friend Anasiphorus? And three, can you name three things good Christian friends do for each other? 2 Timothy chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 8, but again our focus is on verses 15 to 18. This is the word of God. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anasiphorus, For he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. There ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word and we thank you that you have preserved it for us for our edification, for our greater understanding of you and the way that you work, and a better understanding of ourselves as well. And Lord, now as we turn our attention to the preaching of your word, we ask that you would minister to us. Lord, please be with the preacher. Send your Holy Spirit in a special way. Please be with all of us who will hear. Minister to us, we pray, by your word and by your spirit. And we come to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Paul is encouraging young Timothy in his duty in the church and his task to oversee the church in Ephesus, to minister to them, to preach to them, to teach them, and to pastor them. And he wants to encourage him in every way that's possible, but he also wants to be realistic. And so Paul will remind Timothy that there are many blessings in the ministry, but there are also many heartaches. He knows that himself personally. When Paul reflects on those who had abandoned him, but also when he reflects on those who supported him, he's not just doing so in in some cold way, reporting on his status, these people abandoned me, these people helped me, but he genuinely appreciates those who supported him, but I believe that he's also genuinely hurt by those who abandoned him and some who had done him wrong. He needs Timothy to be aware of that. That that's something that can go along with the ministry. It's something that goes along in life in general. Timothy needs to know that it can be very difficult in the ministry. He needs to know that he will undoubtedly enjoy some great support. But he also has to know that things can go wrong. There will be faithful friends. But there will also be those who are fickle and will turn their backs on him. Paul again reflects on some of those things. I want to begin... First of all, with his companions. Paul traveled extensively. Paul made friends everywhere he went. He was a great networker. He wasn't in it for himself. They're not business relationships. He was doing kingdom work. And the people that he interacted with and the people that he worked with, he had a special bond with them through Jesus Christ. We can call it friendship. We can call it fellowship. But whenever Christians engage with one another, it should always be deeper than just a worldly type of friendship. We have a bond of love and a bond of union, communion in Christ with one another. And Paul experienced that as he went from church to church, encouraging churches, planting churches. Obviously, he had different levels of friendships and relationships with different people, but they were never just business relationships. There's always this human emotional element involved, including a spiritual element. That should be true within the body of Christ, a deeper spiritual aspect involved in the faith that we share. And so, when we love each other, we can truly love each other. When we have true friendships, they can be true friendships. They should be a great encouragement to us. Paul had a lot of that. Sometimes we think of Paul as sort of a lone ranger, an isolated character who would do this great work all on his own. That's never true in scripture. He's always attended by someone. He's always ministered to by someone and when he's feeling lonely, he's not afraid to express that he misses his brothers and sisters in the Lord. Dare say that he was willing to make himself vulnerable. He writes to the Philippian church, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. He's got them in his heart. He's bound to them. He loves them. I want you to turn to the book of Romans, a letter to the Romans at the very end. Many of Paul's letters we could look at and see that he does have a cast of devoted friends that he cares dearly about and who care dearly about him. If we were to follow him through Acts, we'd see him interacting with all these different people. Names like Silas pop up. Uh, names like, like Priscilla and Aquila pop up. Many others. We even see that there were times when he had companions and friends and it didn't go so well. You think of a point in his ministry where Barnabas and Mark uh, ended up having conflict with Paul and they separated for a while but then they reconciled. But here, just listen to some of these names at the end of Romans that Paul undoubtedly holds near and dear. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphanea and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asencritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Phalogus, Julia, Nerysus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I read that extensive list to show that Paul had this incredible network. He knew all these people. And they were near and dear to him, and there were others as well. But you see how supportive so many of them were, and Paul never took that for granted. Paul was not afraid to express his affection for them. Paul was not afraid to befriend them. He expressed his deep love for Timothy in this letter. And then we read about this man, Onesiphorus, who was a devoted friend who probably risked his life looking for Paul in Rome. This dear man, who Paul cherished, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me, and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. Imagine trying to find Paul as he's imprisoned in this this dungeon-type cell, and willing to align himself with this man who was a condemned criminal at this point. But what a faithful friend! And he prays that the Lord would bless him. I couldn't help but think when he prays for this blessing of of when Jesus is talking about uh, the sheep and the goats, and he talks about who the sheep were and what they did, that that you visited me in prison. So when Nesiphorus visited Paul in prison, it was like he was visiting, in essence, Christ himself, because Paul belonged to Christ. And so you see this wonderful bond here. But then there were the deserters as well. And while for Christians, because of our fellowship in Christ, because of that, since our relationships can be deeper, our fellowship's stronger, so the sorrow and hurt is even deeper when things go wrong. And Paul experienced that many times along the way from outsiders constantly going after him, but even from insiders within the church, those who professed Christ. Some out of jealousy, some out of spite, would seek to undo the apostle himself. Along the way, many would try to undo him. And here, in particular, in Asia, he was abandoned. He's feeling that now. He's in prison. The only one with him is Luke. This Onesiphorus found him, but he's feeling lonely and in pain, and he looks back at what happened in Asia, and he was completely abandoned by those In Asia, who knows why, perhaps because the circumstances were dangerous. Paul was probably in prison because of trumped-up charges. The Romans would not imprison him because of his religion. They would imprison him for perdition or for starting to try some political maneuver, but he finds himself in jail. Behind it is an attempt to stop the gospel, for sure, because the gospel turns things upside down wherever it's preached. But here Paul finds himself very lonely in jail, and he's not afraid to name two in particular who were probably leaders, Phygelus and Hermogenes, we'll deal with some, some things later about people like them. But Paul feels abandoned. That's where he finds himself. And he doesn't want Timothy to be cynical about trusting people, but he also doesn't want him to be naive. That there are those who will abandon. There are troublers. When I think about Paul being abandoned, when I think about others being abandoned, I can't help but think about one of my heroes in history, William Tyndale, who set out to translate the Bible in English so that people like us way down the road could read the Bible in our own language. But he was naive about one particular shady, slimy individual Henry Phillips, who betrayed him, acted like he was a Christian, acted like he was for the propagation of the gospel, supported the work, befriended him, but because he was a criminal himself, he turned on Tyndall, turned him in, and it eventually led to Tyndall's execution. Timothy, don't be cynical, but don't be naive. Some people can be very clever and deceptive and do great damage. And so he wants to encourage Timothy, but he doesn't want Timothy to be a foolish young man. Timothy and Paul both serve the Savior Jesus. And I want to point out something about Jesus' ministry that sometimes we overlook. When Jesus came and suffered, he did so for our redemption. But there's an element in his suffering that's relational, very relational. We often think of him being tempted in many different ways. But there's an aspect in this thing that we call fellowship or agape or friendship that Jesus experienced. That he can sympathize with folks like us. He could sympathize with Paul. He could sympathize with Timothy. So I want us to consider some of that aspect of Jesus' ministry. Jesus certainly had friends. He was well-assisted by the apostles. They were very devoted to him. They wanted to care for him. He was their rabbi. He was their leader. And they loved him. Jesus had many disciples that were supportive. I'm always struck by the fact that the women that supported Jesus tended to be the most consistent in their devotion to him. They were limited in their ability to care for him or protect him or any of the other things that the apostles thought that they were maybe supposed to do. But the women were faithful. I want to read from Luke 23, 27. To just give us a sense, here Jesus is being led to the cross. And just being struck by these devout women, which Paul, by the way, had many devout women in his ministry. Timothy could expect the same. This is Luke 23, 27. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. Turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and wombs, that never bore, and the breast that never nursed. Then they will begin to say on the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things, when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? And he goes on to talk about them and to warn them. We discover that in Mark they still follow, they still attend, they're still there, even when he's being crucified. And so Jesus did have those who were devoted to him without question. Jesus especially appreciated as he walked the earth, even in his humility, that the Father was always there for him, always near to him. So that even when the apostles seemed faithless, and even when his disciples, many of whom proved faithless, and even when the women were helpless, his Father was there. And he had that great assurance because he had the Holy Spirit beyond measure. And so so Jesus himself was assisted in many ways, and he undoubtedly appreciated that. But as we well know, that Jesus was also betrayed. Betrayed by those who he, in a worldly sense, certainly would have considered friends. People that he had indeed befriended, had served well washed their feet, ministered to them. But Jesus experienced abandonment and betrayal. He felt it. When we read the Psalms, very often we recognize that that they seem to capture the the whole range of human emotion and human feeling, but we never want to miss the fact that very often we're brought into the feelings, the experience of Christ himself. And one of the striking things about the suffering of Christ is that that it hit him especially hard because they were within his close band of comrades that abandoned him. I want to read to you from a a list of of psalms here. Prophetic psalms that maybe, maybe some of us can relate to, hopefully not, but Jesus certainly His experience is expressed here. Psalm 55, for it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolent with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. Psalm 41, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Psalm 88, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Certainly, many of those speak to Judas, but they speak to others as well. Jesus would experience this. When he came to earth, his own people did not receive him. Even his own family didn't understand him, didn't believe in him at first. He was despised and rejected. When he said hard sayings, his disciples, some of them, would turn from him and leave. Some would abandon him because they were disappointed because Jesus, in their mind, wasn't who he was supposed to be. He is betrayed by Judas. When he's arrested, he's abandoned by his closest band of followers. Jesus understood what it meant to be forsaken, to be abandoned by by friends, by people who were supposed to love him, supposed to care for him. He understood. He felt it. He knew it. And as if it couldn't get any more intense when he's on the cross, He experiences that experience that can only describe hell. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here he experiences separation from the Father. We enter into that deep experience of Jesus, that sense of forsakenness, abandonment. Certainly, ultimately, for the sake of our redemption, but also to give him the ability to sympathize with us as our great high priest. Even on the cross, the very father he feels forsaken by, he's crying out to and commends a spirit to him. Even the people that are crucifying him, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Later, he'll be reconciled to the apostles and he'll reinstate Peter. Even in being rejected and despised, Jesus proves himself to be a friend of sinners. Certainly, some are beyond saving, some are beyond restoring. Judas is a son of perdition. But Jesus proved himself to be a friend of sinners. One day when he was eating in a household, some people began to accuse Jesus. And Jesus, recognizing that they were judging him and condemning him for associating with sinners, here's what we hear. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him. A glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. When you read that, where do you find yourself? Do you find yourself with Jesus' accuser saying, "Yeah, those sinners. How can Jesus be friends with those sinners?" You find yourself thinking, "How can Jesus love somebody that wretched?" people, we may not fall into the category of gluttons or drunkards or tax collectors. But guess what? We're among the sinners. And Jesus has befriended us. Even though we would be fickle friends to him. Jesus himself said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. The apostle says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. That's us. And we need to see ourselves more like the repented woman at the feet of Jesus than the Pharisees standing outside the door accusing Jesus and pointing our fingers at others. Jesus has befriended us. But what about our issue of friendship. A little bit of application here. So yes, we, we look at at Paul Paul's struggles, Paul's pain, warning Timothy. We look at Jesus who can enter into our experience. But what about us? Word about being a pastor. Since this is written to Timothy, a pastor there are tremendous privileges of being a pastor but there are also always risks. And it's amazing in the ministry how sometimes those who had been your greatest supporters can end up turning their backs on you. You rub them the wrong way and You're knocked off that pedestal that you were never supposed to be on to begin with. So the pastorate, as Timothy needed to know, pastors need to know that that they ought not to be cynical, not to be naive, not to be afraid to befriend people in their congregations. I knew a pastor who was actually taught in seminary told, do not become friends with people in your church. You can be a preacher. You can be a teacher. You can be an administrator. You can maybe even be a pastor and under shepherd. But do not become friends with people in your church. Self-preservation. Supremely unbiblical. You do not see that in Paul. You do not see that in Jesus. But there can be times when that abandonment does take place. What about us? We process the loss of friends Feel the loss of good companions, some some because of time, some because of change, some because of busyness, some because of providence, and we move on. Sometimes relationships break down for various reasons. Sometimes people turn their backs on us. We have a term now where people can ghost you. If you don't know what that means, it means they just disappear from your life. You can't contact them by phone. You can't contact them by email, you can't contact them by text. They've just ghosted you. Sadly, sometimes those who are in our lives abandon us, turn our back, turn their backs on us, some do a lot of damage. Sometimes tragically, the ones closest to us can do the most damage. Sometimes it's even family. Sometimes it's people that we trusted greatly. When that happens, we need to learn to try to reconcile. We need to try to learn uh, to make amends where it's possible. There are times when we have to let go. But there are things that we can learn from what Paul had to learn himself, that we can truly appreciate good companions. It takes effort. We've got to befriend people to have friends. One of the strangest things I heard from somebody who visited a church once, And they said, well, I'd like to get to know people in the church. And the person, one of the people actually said, I have enough friends. Wow. Um, It's not kingdom thinking. At any rate, not only can we appreciate the good friends we have, but we need to be good friends. To encourage To refresh, that's what Onesiphorus did for Paul, to refresh, to edify, to encourage and build up. And sometimes to correct and to help each other out in this thing that we're going through called sanctification. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Friendship is not always easy, but it's excellent. Finally, I have to mention this because I can't think of anywhere else in Scripture where I could mention it, but I want to mention this act of Onesiphorus. If you have a friend who's gone missing, don't just write them off. I want to tell you just a quick anecdotal story of my life. Not because I'm the hero, but because he's the hero. I had a very, very good friend, very close friend in seminary. And after seminary, he fell off the face of the earth. And he moved to a town and worked in the restaurant industry. And the town was sort of a kind of a seedy kind of town, small city. And I couldn't get a hold of him, and I couldn't figure out how to find him, so... I would find myself, any time I was near that little city, I would drive up and down the street in a lame attempt that maybe I would see him somewhere walking down the street. Can't say I did anything great there. It was probably a pretty lame effort. One time I stopped at a restaurant that I knew he had worked at, thought he was still working there, couldn't find him, left, how, how warm and friendly is this? I left a business card, church business card. At least it was a church business card. Never found him. Never found him. Sad loss. I don't know how much later it was, but one day my wife Lori says to me, guess who just contacted us? And it was him. And he had gone through this horrible time in his life. Major backsliding, lost, didn't want to be found but then had repented. And I was so privileged and honored to be one of the first people that he connected with once he came back. And he's the hero of the story because he is and has become one of my greatest supports and encouragers, even though we're distant by miles. Very different story than Onesiphorus looking for Paul. No danger in it for me, nothing like that, but just the value of a good friendship that can be rekindled and become a beautiful thing if we make the effort. Well, finally this. We need to have good friends, good support. We need to support one another. We're in the body of Christ here. I hope that you're able to befriend one another. But we also need to remember that even our best friends our best friends, even those closest to us in our lives, cannot fill our spiritual tank, let alone meet all of our emotional needs. Simply care. Faithful as they may be. But if you have Jesus as your friend, and he has befriended you, you have a friend that will never fail you. Hopefully you'll never experience those horrible negative feelings of betrayal, of abandonment, of rejection, of friends who become enemies. But even then, as we will sing, friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Let's pray. Almighty God, we look at what you teach us in Scripture about ourselves, about what we are by nature, what we were by nature, certainly unlovable, certainly unlovable by a holy God. But you are God who loved us so much that you sent your only son to die for us. Who loved us so much that he laid his life down and experienced even feeling forsaken by you. What a friend. What a friend. What a mercy. What love. Inexpressible. Lord, you've taught us through that what a true friend is. And we pray that as we at least say that we want to be more like Jesus, we pray that you would help us to be the faithful friend to those you've put in our lives. We thank you for our faithful friends. We thank you for our supporters, those who love us. We pray that you would bring reconciliation where any Friendships, close relationships, fellowship has been shattered or broken. But we thank you for those who are faithful and true supporters. But even more so, we pray that we would model Christ. And that we we would be the kind of friend that would lay his life down for those he loves. Lord, we come to you in the name of our greatest friend. Lord of lords, King of kings, and yet who has befriended us? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.